Welcome to Freedom Fellowship. You can follow us online at cometofreedom.com. My dad loves preaching verse by verse studies of the Word of God giving its full counsel. His studies pay particular attention to the practical application, contemporary examples, and incorporates the Word into our daily lives. Enjoy today's sermon from the book of Exodus, and make sure to subscribe right now so you don't miss any future teachings. So before I pray, do you guys know that the message is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus? It is always him. The volume of the book is about him. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the tabernacle. These are some plans that God had given to Moses. God desired to dwell among his people, but he is holy. He couldn't just show up. Otherwise, people would just die. But they were to make a tent. And I love this idea of a tabernacle. How many of you guys know what a tent is? Okay. This was written thousands of years ago. How many people back then would have understood what a tent is? Hasn't changed a whole lot. And I so love that God had chosen a tabernacle, a tent to communicate these heavenly realities because we're actually told that this, what is laid out, is actually a reality in heaven, okay? And God communicating to mankind a tent because there's so many things that he could have brought up that we wouldn't understand. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like if we would say, hey, today we could liken this to a a laptop computer. You know, many generations before would have no clue. What are you talking about? What's a laptop? Okay, but this is something that is timeless, that we understand, that we get. So I'm excited to dive into what God lays out for us uh, when it comes to the tabernacle. But I also want you guys to catch Jesus. Okay, and I don't have time. We could really spend a year just on these four chapters Jesus is in every single part of what we're going to go through this morning. But I want you guys to understand that access to God, that was the most important thing for the children of God, even just humanity as a whole. How can we get to our maker? Okay, that was in their minds the highest good. Um, And also access really uh, presupposes a right relationship. Okay, mankind knows that they're sinful. (laughs) We can't get to God. There's not open access. There's something we must do. You look at every religion of the world, there are laws, rules, regulations, stuff you need to do in order to connect with the Most High. But we know what God has revealed in regards to that. We're sinful. (laughs) And God can't dwell among sin. He is holy, holy, holy. We are sinful, sinful, sinful. How is that ever going to happen? Well, we need to have right relationship. And you guys know that God is our righteousness. What Jesus did made us right. Um, Also, we have access. Really would mean that there's acceptance from God and that there is forgiveness from God. And also, access would also involve an exposure to his glory. And we're going to talk about that this morning in the Holy of Holies, that part of the tent where uh, Ozzy just talked about the Day of Atonement. One guy, the high priest, one time a year was allowed to go in there, and that was it. And sometimes they would die if they weren't cleansed properly before going in. So this is something that is really, really cool to consider this morning with you guys. So fathers, we open your word again. We don't want to miss you. God, we know that the volume of this book is about you. We know your desire 
is to reveal yourself to us. Lord, you're not a God of confusion. God, your heart is one that desires to make yourself known. You have come the light of the world. Sometimes we love our darkness and we don't want to deal with the light, but you've promised for anybody that will seek you, that they will find you. And that's our desire here this morning. We're looking to you, Jesus. If there's another agenda, would you check us in that? Lord, we want to set those things aside. And we're looking to you. We ask in your name. Amen. So I don't normally share stories at the beginning of a sermon, but I want to share this one because it's just cool. And it's Abraham Lincoln. And I, how many of you guys like Abraham Lincoln? He's a cool guy to read about, to learn about. But during the Civil War, there was a young uh, Union soldier, okay? His father and his older brother had died in the war, and he had a mom and a sister back home, and it was planting season, and he wanted to get to the president to ask if he could, hey, can I, can I be freed from, uh, you know, my, my duty in the service here for a time to go back home this spring and help plant uh, with my mom and his sister. And of course he was turned away when he went and you guys would imagine this guy's probably disheartened. What am I going to do here? My mom and my sister are going to starve. They need, they need the help. Okay. Uh, he's just broken. Well, he went to a nearby park there, and there was a little boy that came up to him and approached him and said, hey, you look unhappy, soldier. What's wrong? And after the soldier shared his story, the little boy took him by the hand, took him to the White House. They went in the back door, walked into the president's office, and there Lincoln looked up, and he said, what can I do for you, Tad? And Tad said, Daddy, the soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier, he was not turned away. And guys, I believe that's what we have in relationship with Jesus. He takes us by the hand and he brings us to the Father. And we have access to him. We can talk with him. We can ask of him because of Jesus. So each time we pray, guys, I want us to picture that. Okay, we have access because of Jesus. And when we consider the tabernacle, it's because of Jesus that we can actually enter in. Not just to that holy place, but the holy of holies. So we're going to consider this morning the Sanctus Sanctrum, the holy sanctuary. This is where we come to the tabernacle, also known as the tent of meeting or the holy of holies, the most holy place, the sanctuary. And you guys remember the children of Israel here, this they're semi-nomadic people at this point. They've been brought out of bondage. They're just there in the wilderness living in temporary housing tents themselves they haven't been in a place to settle down yet they haven't entered into the promised land so they're just in a place of hey we got to be portable we got to move because hey when the ark moves the cloud by day it moves too and we're to follow wherever it goes so since the children of israel when it come up to his presence at sinai he basically was saying to them hey i will come down to you I will meet with you, build a tabernacle, and that's where I'm going to come and dwell among you. So this really shows, while God is invisible, okay, that he's not remote. He's not far away. Some of us feel that way. You know, I'm here at church. I want to learn about him. But is he really here? He is, guys. He is. Some of us can sense his Holy Spirit. He is with us. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? That's speaking to the church. If you're born again of the Spirit, 
You are the temple. He is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So God here is going to show us how a holy God can live in the midst of a sinful people. And he's going to show us how to approach him. Because if he didn't, guys, we would try on our own terms. There would be the golden calves. There would be the towers of Babel we would build. We would be like the Hindu temple. This is from their website. And the reason I throw this up here is I want you guys to pray for the Hindus. Their parking lot is full all the time. And it makes me think of Romans 1.23. They are interested in worshiping the glorious, ever-living God. They worshiped idols made to look like mere people or birds or animals or reptiles. And so much of mankind today, that's what they do. They're worshiping idols, things that are made in our own likeness or other created things. God loves these people, okay? I drive past that building at least five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty times a week. <laughs> I used to pray daily for years, and I caught myself recently just driving by and not praying anymore. What happened? I think there's been a disconnect of my heart with my Heavenly Father's heart because His heart hasn't changed. What, what changed? Why did I stop? It's my heart. His heart hasn't changed. His heart is that none should perish, but all would come to the truth and be set free to know him, the one and true living God. So I encourage you guys, be praying. Also, we often approach God kind of like a salad bar, don't we? Okay? I like salad bars, just not a whole lot of that lettuce or the veggies. You know, give me, you know, a bunch of mushrooms and some hard-boiled eggs and a few cups of ranch sauce and I'm good to go, right? You know? It doesn't work that way. That's not the way we approach God, and we so often do that today. Kind of like taking on these four chapters this morning. Most Christians are like, are you serious? Why would you even spend time? I had a hard time finding pastors to actually preach through this section of Scripture. This is a part of Exodus that gets a little boring. I look at it, this is one of the most exciting parts in Exodus. Okay, But that's one of those things God wants us to take in his whole counsel. It is good for us to be in the word and get all that he has and all that he desires to reveal to us. So as we consider this morning these four chapters, uh, we're going to be taking a look at them, okay? I'm hopefully be, uh, you know, wanting to read through all of them, but if I don't, guess what? You guys make sure you go home and read through all these chapters this morning. But what I think is most um needed and most helpful for us this morning. Um, obviously, I want us to be encouraged in Jesus today, okay? And as we look to him, because we're going to be reading about a lot of cubits and how big things were and all the things that were to be made for inside the tabernacle and how the tabernacle itself was to be made. But instead of considering all the cubits and how big the ark itself was, I want us to understand why God made this old earthly sanctuary and how we relate to it in the new heavenly sanctuary today in Christ. That's, I love that you shared out of Hebrews this morning. I read a lot of Hebrews this last week. That's the argument of Hebrews. Hey, consider the temple. Jesus is our tabernacle. Do you guys ever read the Gospel of John? You guys know the first verse in the Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word, 
The word was God and with God, or was with God and was God. And then in verse 14 of that chapter, it says that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt in the Greek is actually translated tabernacled. Jesus became flesh and he tabernacled among us. So let's not miss what this means as we look to the Old Testament tabernacle. What does this mean to us as believers in Jesus? So there's going to be two parts. We're going to look at the old earthly sanctuary in these four chapters, and then we're going to take a little time concluding in Hebrews chapter 9 together this morning. So I'm going to take a drink of water, and we're going to start reading chapter 25 together. This is the layout for the old earthly sanctuary here. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Hey, speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall make or you shall take my offering. Now, I want to pause for a moment and speak to this. This is not in my notes, but giving is important. Why? Because it's in the nature of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay. Uh, we're going to pass out plates now and take an offering here at Freedom. We don't do that, okay? Why? Because 2 Corinthians 9, 7, that says that God loves a cheerful or a hilarious giver. That's the heart that God wants. Not, hey, you have to give or be pressured to give money. God wants people who are going to go out of their way to give. And as we grow in Christ and we get to know him, that should just be an overflow of our lives. And I love it because God's faithful to his word. You guys know that you're not to test the Lord your God except for one thing that we find in the Old Testament prophets, okay? You tithe, you give to God, and watch out what he's going to do for you. And I see so many Christians who struggle, and so many that have struggled financially, they normally have one thing in common, they don't give to the Lord, okay? God is faithful to his word. And I've heard it said, if the church just <laughs> would take the idea of the tithe seriously, in two years, guys, world hunger, every Christian organization, all the debt they have in their buildings and in supporting their missions, if everybody would just tithe, within two years it would all be taken care of and paid for. Moses actually got to a point here. God says, hey, you need to give. The people gave, and they gave so much, and you'll never hear this from a preacher today. Stop giving. <laughs> We have too much. We don't know what to do with the overflow. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if preachers had to say that? Okay? But it's on the flip side. Hey, our ministry is going to die if you don't support us now. You know? It's just gotten so goofy. But I share that with you guys. God's principles are right. It is good to give. It is a discipline. But again, you do it out of a willing heart. As a person purposes in his heart, that's what that Second Corinthians verse says. You get with God. What do you want me to give? How does that look? Okay? And you seek, and you just be faithful with that, and you give hilariously. If it's not a joy for you to give, don't give. Okay? We don't want your money here at Freedom if it's not coming from a right heart with the Lord. It's just before Him. Well, Pastor, are you saying this to be self-serving? No, I'm saying this because this is God's way, and this is healthy for His people. It is good and what can be done if God's people are like, yeah, I get it. I want to be a part of this work. I want to be on mission. 
How can I not give? You've given me everything. How can I not give back to you? What would God do? You know, and you do see that. You guys see how the church is having an impact around the world? It is so cool. Right now, okay, people are tripping. Well, what's going on? This government funding's driving, you know, drying up. Okay, are we going to have enough food at the pantry to supply? Yeah, because God always supplies. He has for the last 15 years with the pantry, you know, but people start tripping out because who are they leaning on? The government's going to take care of us. I want us to be so positioned at the, as the church guys that when Christ does return and we're raptured, we leave a huge hole. The world that doesn't believe is going to look on like, whoa, all those people who loved us and served us and wanted nothing back, where are they? Okay, that's the church's job. That's what God calls us to. But don't we just, oh, well, there's probably a government agency that'll take care of you. Isn't that our tendency in the church? You know, and why is that? Because our hearts are not hilarious. And that's what God asks, us, asks of us. So, moving on to verse 3. And this is the offering which you shall take from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat's hair. Ram skin, dyed red badger skins and acacia wood if you have the old um king james at shittim wood same wood uh the ark was built with oil from the light and spices of anointing oil and sweet incense onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod of the breastplate we're gonna get in all those stones but you guys need to remember that jesus is the only stone that matters he's the rock of ages amen and let them be to me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to do all that I show you. And that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Now, with the contribution that we read about there in verse 1, okay, giving because God is worth it. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line, right? When all said and done, you're worthy. You've asked, of course, okay? Um, but we really need to remember they gave really what God had already given them, right? They delivered from Egypt and all this gold and silver, all that stuff came out of Egypt, okay? Um, it's kind of like our living today, you know, it is from the Lord. So this is a decisive moment really in Old Testament religion. Prior to the tabernacle, there was no established central meeting place. There was no sanctuary. So this is a big deal in their history. Um, so the size of the tabernacle, you guys know that it was massive. You've been there with me in Israel. Huge, the Temple Mount, right? No. How many of you guys have been to a football game? Okay. The tabernacle is smaller than half a football field. And I always want to picture it a lot bigger than that. Okay, because there's millions of people who come out of Egypt. Where are they all going to go to worship? It must be a mega sanctuary. No, <laughs> it's pretty tiny. Okay, about, the half, about a half size of a football field. So we're going to start on the outside and work our way down in. So let's take a look at verse 10. Okay, and this is going to be the hard part. I really want to go through these four chapters, but there's so many cool little things. If I get on a super like long rabbit trail, start throwing stuff at me like, Pastor, get back on track here, okay? I'm going to just try to read through these four chapters right now, okay? And then they came to the Ark of Acacia Wood. <clears throat> I got to stop already. The, the Ark, <laughs> this is not Noah's Ark, 
okay? This is the ark that they would carry around, okay? And you guys familiar? What, what did they keep in the ark? Ten commandments. What else? The staff that Bud Aaron's staff and manna, right? Okay? So this is a cool picture of Christ, okay? In this ark, we're told that uh, throughout Scripture, it's a pretty big deal. Where is the ark today? We don't know, and that's okay, because what did the ark point to? It's all about Jesus anyways, okay? Um, <clears throat> let's go on. Two and a half cubits, you shall make this. You guys know a cubit is, you know, your elbow to your fingertips, about 18 inches. Um, so keep that in your mind as we go through this. It's actually about two feet by two feet, about four feet high. But it, it, it's length here. It's to be a cubit and a half in its width and a cubit and a half in its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold. I got to pause again, okay? Acacia wood, okay, a picture there of mankind, okay? And it's overlaid with what? With gold. And gold in the scripture speaks to deity. Do you guys understand this is a picture of Christ? The man Christ. The man God, right? Fully. And we're going to see that throughout the tabernacle, okay? Uh, but it's to be this pure gold inside and out, and you shall overlay it, and shall make uh, on it a molding of gold all around, and you shall cast four rings of gold for it, and you shall put them in the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold. You should put the holes into the rings on the side to carry the ark. The ark be carried by them, kind of like at a funeral when you got the casket, you got the poles, you put it through and it's to be carried like that. Because what happened if you weren't carrying by the poles and you were just trying to carry it by the ark itself? You die, you're not to touch it. You guys remember Uzzah? started falling over and he went to grab it and he, he died just touching it okay so you don't mess around with the ark they're carried by the poles verse 15 then the poles shall be in these rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it and you shall put into the ark of the testimony which i give you and you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold two and a half cubits shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width and you shall make two cherubim of gold and hammered work, you shall make them on these two ends of the mercy seat. Make one of the cherubim on one end and the other cherub at the other end, and you shall make cherubim at these two ends of it, of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch over with their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. The faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat." Um, Got to pause again, <laughs> the saying in my notes, but do you guys know that angels are watching what we're doing right now? We've been going through 1 Corinthians. Was that in chapter 11 that Paul laid that out? Hey, they're watching. They're, learning. they're trying to figure out this whole grace and mercy thing, how we've come to salvation. They're actually being taught and they're looking. And I so love that these cherubim, you guys know that these cherubim are angels also, Okay and they're facing each other, okay, and they're looking at what? The mercy seat. Angels, you need to understand this, okay? The way God worked with angels is radically different than how he works with mankind. He doesn't understand this grace thing. Can you just imagine what angels think? Them? <laughs> All they do is rebel. Even the ones that say they love you and have faith in you, okay? 
they're they're sinful still. <laughs> What's up with this? They don't get it. They're watching, and I so love this because in the tabernacle, hey, you angels, you need to look at the mercy seat. You don't look at the ark. You don't look at what's inside the ark. We're going to cover that stuff up. You guys can jot down James 2.13. Any of you guys know that verse? All right, y'all need to memorize James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The ark speaks of judgment, guys. And where's the mercy seat? It is covered. This is where the high priest would apply the blood. Sacrifice was made to atone for the sins of the people. And you cherubim, <laughs> you angels, you need to catch this because I am merciful. You guys understand it's all about God's mercy. That's why he calls us to be merciful as I am merciful. That's why we're called to pray for our enemies. How much of our lives are ruined because we choose not to be merciful? How many broken relationships because I want to be right? I don't want to extend mercy. I don't want to do what you called me to do, God. How many of have messed up family? And it's just because people are not choosing to be merciful. But God says, hey, mercy is not just going to you know, come in a close second over judgment because we know judgment's fair and it's just. And it is. God is holy. Absolutely, he's going to be just. But his mercy triumphs way over his judgment and that's what these angels i think have a hard time understanding it's something we have a hard time understanding god loves us guys he is merciful full of mercy all right you guys keep getting sidetracked what verse were we in 19 all right Make one cherub on one end. We already read that, verse 20. And the cherubim, they shall start. We read that, 21. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark, you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you above the mercy seat from between the two cherubim, which are on the ark of the testimony above everything, which I will give you in the commandment to the children of Israel. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with gold and make the molding of gold all around. And you shall make a frame, a hand breadth, all around it. And it shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners at... <coughs> Uh, that are uh, its four legs. And the rings shall be close to the frame as the holders of the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And the table shall be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes and pans and pitchers and bowls for pouring. You shall make out of pure gold. And you shall set showbread on the table before me always. So if you guys see the picture here, okay, to the far left, okay, that little square, that's the Holy of Holies. And that's what we just read about the ark, okay? And on top of the ark, the box in there is the mercy seat. But then you go to the holy place, and you guys see against the far curtain there, that's the showbread, okay? 12 pieces of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's the bread there, the menorah, which we're just about to read about. It's on the other side. And then right before the veil that separates the two, okay, you have 
the altar of incense there. So let's go on to verse 31. You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold, okay? And you shall be a hammered work, its shaft and its branches and its bowls and its ornamental knobs. And the flowers shall be of one piece and six branches shall come out of its sides. Three branches of the lampstand out of one side and three branches of the lampstand on the other side and three bowls shall be made like the almond blossoms on the branch with the ornamental knob and the flower and the three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch and ornamental knob and a flower. And of the six branches that come out of the lampstand, okay, this is the only light in the Holy of Holies. It burns continually. Isn't it cool that Jesus is the... Light of the world, okay? He's also the bread of life. What? All right, let's go to verse 34. On the lampstand itself, four bowls shall be made like almond blossoms, each with its ornamental knob and flower. And there shall be a knob under the first two branches of the same, and the knob under the second two branches of the same, and a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches that extend from the lampstand. Their knobs and their branches shall be of one piece, and it shall be one hammered piece of the pure. You guys know that there's only one light of the world? Okay. Well, haven't you been enlightened if you knew there are many ways to get to the Father? No, there's not. There's only one, and Jesus says he's it. Amen? All right. So you shall make seven lamps for it, and they shall arrange its lamps so that they give light in front of it. And the wick Trimmers and their trays shall be of pure gold, and it shall be made of a talent of pure gold with all of these utensils. And see to it that you make them according to the pattern as which is shown you on the mountain. So do you guys think God cares about details? Ooh, I would think so, okay? And there's a reason. I do believe when we get to heaven, you guys are going to be in the know. You're going to be like, hey, I was there at Freedom when Pastor took the time to go through those four chapters about the tabernacle. And let me tell you what, all you other believers who don't have a clue what this is, let me tell you, because it's all about Jesus. And do you guys know when we get to heaven, it's going to be all about Jesus anyways? Just as the light here, the only light in the holy place, is the menorah. Do you guys know that the only light there is in heaven is who? Jesus. There are no other lights. There's no sun up in the sky. There is one sun, the Son of God, and he is the light. Another drink for another chapter. Let's go. Moreover, chapter 26, you shall make a tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven leaden of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. I got to pause. This is so cool. Um, ten is the number of what in the Bible? Number 10. Perfection. There we go. Ten commandments. Okay. Um, it says here that these curtains that are to be made, and we're going to talk about a lot of curtains in a little bit here for all the parts of the tent, but they were to be made of blue, purple, and scarlet thread. This is the only one that is actually shown on the inside of the tabernacle. This is what people would see. And it speaks. What is blue in the Bible? Heaven. What's purple? Speaks to royalty, kingship, okay? Royal priesthood. And scarlet thread. This is the first time scarlet comes up in the Bible. 
And you guys know that there is a theme throughout the Bible about the scarlet thread? It is phenomenal. It speaks to what? Jesus' blood, redemption. It is beautiful, okay? And I want you guys to catch this. We read this this morning upstairs. You can jot down um, Psalm 22, verse 6. Jesus there in Psalm 22, it is a prophetic psalm that spoke about the crucifixion of Jesus, and it was written 500 years before the Persians invented crucifixion. And in verse 6 of Psalm 22, he says, I'm not a man, but I am a worm. Talath is the word here for scarlet. Talath is the same word they use for worm there in Psalm 22. The Talith worm is what they would blend up to make red for their scarlet cloths. Yeah. Uh, they don't have a store down the road that you can go buy a fabric from. <laughs> they actually had to make their fabrics and make these colors. But the coolest thing, if you actually look, and you guys can look this up, the Talith worm itself, the only way it can reproduce the only way it has offspring is in its death. And you can see they explode. And when they explode, you know what color is left on the tree? Red, blood red. What happened when Jesus, who said, the beginning of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And a few verses later, hey, I'm not a man, I'm, I'm a worm. Talath. How do we become his offspring, guys? How were we born again? It was by his sacrifice, his death, we come to life. So I want to encourage you guys, be students of the Bible. Don't wait for church to come and, hey, I'm glad you studied, Pastor. I'm glad you get to dive in. No, we're all called to study the word of God ourselves. Dig in, and I'd encourage you, do a study on scarlet and catch the thread throughout scripture. It is beautiful. It is cool. Talith, you guys see here the worm. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Sorry, that's not in my notes. Pause, unpause, carry on. With artistic designs and cherubim, you shall weave them. Verse 2 says, The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the width of each curtain, four cubits. And every one of the curtains shall have the same measurements. Five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And the other five, five in the Bible is what? Grace, right? Grace, curtains shall be coupled together. Okay, it is not going to work together without the grace of God. Amen. So, verse 4 And you shall make loops of blue yarn in the edge of the curtain and on the uh, sleeveage of one set. And then, likewise, you shall do to the outer edge of the outer curtain of the second set. 50 loops you shall make in one of the curtains, and 50 loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is on the end of the second set and the loops may be clasped to one another okay and you shall make 50 clasps of gold and couple the curtains together okay with the clasps so that they may be one in the tabernacle what does the number 50 represent in the bible guys the year of jubilee right okay 50 is cool 50 cubits the ark was the big ark of Noah <laughs> crossed. Okay, 50 here, the year of Jubilee. And what happened in the year of Jubilee? All debts were forgiven. Whatever you incurred, it goes back to the original land owner, the year of Jubilee, 50. Anyways, 
could talk to that more, but we have lots to read. Uh, verse six: these fifty or six, <coughs> these fifty clasps of gold will be coupled together, the clasps, so that they may be one tabernacle. And you shall also make curtains of goat's hair. <laughs> Isn't goat's hair beautiful? Uh, they're ugly. Goats. Oh man, this is really cool too. My brain's not stopping. Um, <laughs> um, goats are black over there. A lot of times we think of goats as being white, right? Um, this was ugly, okay? Um, we, we're, we're like sheep that have gone astray. And I think it's cool because sometimes they'll put in these goats to help the sheep go in the way they're supposed to go and be where they're supposed to be. Um, anyways, we got to go on. There's a tent over the tabernacle here. You shall make 11 curtains. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains shall all have the same measurements. And you shall have five curtains by themselves and then six curtains by them cells um, and you shall double over the sixth curtain at the front of the tent so five and six is 11 11 in the bible speaks of disorder there's an application there also guys um, isn't that the tension five grace Sorry, we don't have time to talk about this. <laughs> but five is, is grace, and six is the number of flesh, of man, okay? And that's our life right now. We're in the flesh, okay? And we as believers, we live in this reality of grace, okay? And we know there's grace upon grace. And these all work together in this life. Um, and we have these curtains um, that are to be hung, and they represent things, uh, verse 10, it says, you shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain of the outermost one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain. And the second set, verse 11, and you shall make 50 bronze clasps. Uh, now bronze speaks of judgment. That's the metal of judgment. You put these claps and these loops together um, on the tent together that it may be one, okay? Aren't you glad that judgment is passed from us to Christ? He took our judgment upon himself. The remnant that remains of the curtains of the tent and the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle and the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other side. And what remains of length of the curtains in the tent shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle in this side and on that side to cover it. And you shall make a covering of ram skins dyed in red for the tent in a covering of badger skins over it. Okay, badger skin over there is but ugly. Um, do you guys know that there is nothing Isaiah says in Christ that would make us desire him? Okay, do you guys know when Jesus was denied by Judas, like he actually gave him over to the Roman authorities and they came to capture him? They didn't know which one. Hey, Jesus is the tall, handsome, good-looking dude with the blue eyes. He didn't have blue eyes. Um <laughs> No, he just looked like everybody else. He was nothing special, kind of like these badger skins. And that's all part of the tabernacle tent here. Nothing special here. And then you're to take the rams, um, uh, make, a, make a covering of, of the, lamb, or the ram. Where's the first time we read of a ram in the scripture, guys? Yeah, chapter 22 of Genesis, right? Abraham takes his son Isaac up, was about to sacrifice him, and God tells him to stop. 
there's a what in the thicket, a ram, okay? And then he would go on to say right after that, that he himself would be that sacrifice, that God himself would become that sacrifice for us, okay? So this ram, this sacrifice instead, okay, covered in red, like blood. That's exactly what our God did. All right, sorry, super side notes. What verse are we on? 13? All right, and a cubit on one side and a cubit on the other side of what remains in the length and the curtains of the tent shall hang over the tabernacle on this side and on that side. You shall make a covering of, ram there it is, ramskins um, dyed red for uh, the tent and the covering of the badger skins above it. And for the tabernacles, you shall make the boards of acacia wood standing upright. Ten cubits shall be its length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the width of each board. Two tenons shall be on each board for binding one to another. Okay. So in other words, these boards, they need to be put together so it can stand. And I think about the church today, okay? There are five things that God's given to the church that we can stand. He's given apostles. We take the scripture serious. We study the apostles' uh, letters. He's given prophets, and he's given evangelists. And he's also given pastors and teachers. And you guys know that it's important that we have all. It helps us stand. It's important, guys. So here we have these boards that are to be put together and verse 24 says, and they shall be coupled together at the bottom and they shall be coupled together at the top by one ring. Thus, it shall be for both of them and they shall be for the two corners so that there shall be eight boards with their sockets and silver and 16 sockets and two sockets under each of the boards. So they need this to help it stand and that's the same thing in the church, guys. We need the church, okay? Talked with somebody earlier. They're like, hey, I, I don't go to church. I'm open to fellowship. We can go to the coffee shop and hang out and talk about Jesus, but I don't go to church anymore. Don't need that. And it's just like, wow. Where does that mentality come from, okay? The church is important. God's chosen the church to be his method for his mission. It's for the equipping and the building up of the saints. And we need these different parts in the body at work that we are being equipped, that as we go out, we can go and be light and salt in such a way that it's actually making an impact. All right, verse 26. And you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards on the other side of the tabernacle and five boards for the boards on the side of the tabernacle for the far side westward. In the middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from one end to end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold, make their rings of gold, ash, ash holders or as holders for bars and overlay the bars with gold, and you shall raise up the tabernacle according to the pattern which you were shown on the mountain. And you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, of fine woven linen, and it will be woven with artistic design of cherubim, and you shall hang it upon the four pillars of the acacia wood overlaid with gold, and their hooks shall be gold." and upon the four sockets of silver, and you shall hang the veil from the clasps, and you shall bring the ark of the testimony there behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy place. You guys see that up there? This veil, okay? 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to be what divides you. And do you guys know that when Jesus hung upon the cross and he cried out, it's finished, what happened there at the temple? This is the tabernacle, but they built the temple in like manner. And what happened to the curtain there that divided the holy, the, where the presence of God was, okay? Where one guy only got to go once a year. What happened to that curtain? We're told it was rent from top to bottom. God's saying, open house. As Jesus died on the cross, great earthquake. At that same moment, this curtain that divided the people from the presence of God was torn in half. Give me a break, okay? That is historical fact. I don't know what a Jew does, okay? Hey, this Messiah that you rejected, the Messiah you're looking for, he came. You know what happened when he died as a sacrifice for your sin? Something was paid. You now have access to God yourself, you don't need these priests anymore. You actually become a royal priesthood. You guys know that who, that's who you are in Christ? That's pretty darn cool. We have access to the Father. Anyways, you shall put... Uh, let me share a verse real quick. Oh, yeah. I got like six minutes. We're doing awesome. You guys. Um, Ozzy was just sharing before. Let me see if it's still there. There it is. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter... This is Hebrews 10. Sorry, I was looking at other stuff as you were teaching. <laughs> Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which is consecrated for us through the veil. This is the same veil, guys. That is his flesh having a high priest over the house of God. Do you guys know? And then it goes on to say, let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with the pure water. Why? Because Jesus is our high priest. Okay? He has torn that veil. Okay? It is all about him. So, have fun reading Hebrews this week. You guys will be super blessed if you do. All right. Um, what verse are we in? 26, and you shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the boards on one side of the tabernacle, five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle, for far is westward. And the middle bar shall pass through the midst of the boards from one end, and you shall overlay the boards with gold, and you shall make ring. Oh, we already read that. All right, 36, how about that? Oh, 31. I thought we read that too. We did. Let's do 35. I'm pretty sure that's where we stopped. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lamp stand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle towards the south. And you shall put the table on the north side. You shall make a screen for the door of the tabernacle woven with blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine woven linen made by the weaver. And you shall make for a screen five pillars of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and hooks. And they shall be gold and you shall cast five sockets of bronze and you shall make chapter 27 altar of acacia wood five cubits long and five cubits wide and the altar shall be square and the height shall be three cubits and you shall make horns on the four corners the horn shall be one piece with it. i don't have time to talk about the horns but it's cool and it shall overlay its bronze also it shall make its pans uh receive its ashes in 
uh, shovels of the basins and its forks and the fire pans and shall make all the utensils of bronze and you shall make a grate for it and a network of bronze and a network you shall make for bronze rings in the four corners and you shall put them under the rim of the altar beneath that the network be midway up the altar and you shall make poles for the altar poles for the acacia wood and overlay them with bronze and the poles shall be put in the rings and the poles shall be on the two sides of the altar to bear it and you shall make its hollow with boards as was shown to you on the mountain and you shall make it and you shall make it in the courts of the tabernacle for the south side shall be a hanging for the court made of fine woven linen and a hundred cubits long for on one side and 20 pillars of their 20 sockets shall be bronze the hooks of the pillars and their bands shall be silver and likewise, the length of the north side, there shall be the hangings 100 cubits long and 20 pillars, and they shall have 20 sockets of bronze and the hooks of the pillars and the bands of silver. And along the width of the court to the west side shall be the hangings of 50 cubits and their 10 pillars and their 10 sockets. And the width of the court to the east shall be 50 cubits. The hanging on one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits and three pillars in there in their sockets. And the other side shall be hangings of 15 cubits in their three pillars and their three sockets. For the gate of the court shall be a screen 20 cubits long woven in blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine woven linen made by a weaver. And they shall have four pillars and four sockets. And all the pillars around the court shall have bands of silver and hooks shall be of silver and their sockets of bronze. And the length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the width of 50 throughout the five cubits made of fine woven linen, the sockets of bronze and all the utensils of the tabernacle for all the service and all the pigs and the pigs of the court shall be of the bronze. And you shall command the children of Israel that they bring up pure oil that's been pressed in the olives for the light and cause the lamp to burn how long continually and in the tabernacle of meeting outside the veil which is before the testimony Aaron and his sons shall tend to evening until morning before the Lord and it shall be a statue for you and their generations on behalf of the children of Israel now jump to chapter 30 I'm going to read through this quick it says, you shall make, and we'll come back to the other chapters in a couple weeks, but you shall make an altar of burnt incense. Now we're outside. We're in this outer court area, okay? You guys see there, okay? We have a bronze altar sacrifice and a laver for washing. It says, you shall make an altar of burn, uh, to burn incense, and you shall make it of acacia wood. Uh, be its length and its cubit and its width, and it shall be square, and the two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it the molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding of both the sides, and you shall place them on the two sides, and they will be holders for the poles which to bear it and you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and you shall put before the veil is that it is before the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat and that is over the testimony where i will meet with you aaron shall burn on its sweet incense every morning and when he tends the lamps he shall burn incense on it 
in Aaron's lights, the lamps at the twilight will burn on it perpetual incense before the Lord throughout generations. And you shall not offer strange incense on it as his two sons do later in the scriptures, right? Or burnt offering or grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, hey, when you take a census of the children of Israel and their number, and every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord, when you number them, they may be no plague among them when you number them. And this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. In a half a shekel, it shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above, and they'll give an offering to the Lord. And the rich shall not give more than the poor, shall not give less than a half a shekel when you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. And you shall take atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. And it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver of bronze. So this is what they would come and wash themselves before they would go into the holy place uh, with the base also of bronze for washing. It's so cool. I want you guys to catch all these articles so far that we've gone through in the tabernacle. They all have measurements. I can't find any here for this labor. It's like as much cleaning as you need, <laughs> there's, it's unending. Just come, get washed. There's no menishing, you know? I love that. So you shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons, you shall wash their hands and their feet with water from it. And when they go to the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash it with water, lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet, lest they die. And they shall be a statute for them or to them and to him and his descendants throughout their generations. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, and uh, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and of hin of olive oil, and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment uh, compounded according to the art of the perfumer, and it shall be a holy anointing oil, with it, and you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting from the Ark of the Testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and all its utensils, and the altar of incense. And there, the altar of burnt offering with all the utensils, and the laver, and its base. And you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy, and whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may minister to me as priests. 
And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations, and shall not be poured on man's flesh. Nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. And moreover, compounds any like it. And whoever puts any of it on the outsider shall be cut off from his people. And the Lord said to Moses, Take these sweet spices, synced in Acha and Galabunum, and pure frankincense, and these sweet spices, and they shall be equal amounts of each. And you shall make these incense and compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony of the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you and it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense that you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to the composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any of it like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. So it's pretty cool as we consider all these instructions and all that the tabernacle really represents. Uh, it's pretty neat to think about. So we have the Ark of the Covenant, okay? A cloud by day, cloud by night. The showbread there on the right, the 12 tribes, it's facing east. Um, actually, uh, yeah, we don't have time to talk about that. But I think it's cool to get a good rendering of the tabernacle to be able to just kind of think through these things. Um, it's transportable. Um, I want to consider just for a minute the outside of the court because we didn't talk about that a whole lot. Uh, we have the altar burnt offering. So this is kind of like a barbecue for all the people. Pretty cool, huh? Um, bronze basin there, the laver, it's inside um, for a priest to watch before they go in the inside the holy place, okay? So one room divided by a curtain there. The table of bread on the inside uh, speaks of the bread of presence, okay? Uh, carried with poles not to be touched like the ark. Um, 12 loaves on there consistently speaking about the presence of the Lord. So the smell there in the tabernacle, fresh bread. How many of you guys like fresh bread? Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Altar of incense illustrated here. Um, we're told in Revelation 5.8, I think it is, or it's 8.5, one of the two. Um, the altar there is what? The prayer of the saints, okay? And that's a beautiful thing, praying for our enemies, okay? Praying, praising the Lord, beautiful. Um, but anyways, there's also a lot of blood, so think about the smell of blood. Later we hear um, that some of these uh, offerings that were made was a stench in his nostrils. Have you guys read that in the scriptures? Okay, they're to be given appropriately to him, these offerings. Um, we have the golden lampstand, the menorah, okay, from the oil. It's perpetually burning. It speaks about the presence of the Lord. And then you have the inside, the holy of holies, that's the presence of the Lord itself. And that contains the pot of manna where God's miraculous loving care was there for feeding the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness, right, for years. Really represents God's love. We also know that God's, uh, or the budding staff of Aaron was put in there. It speaks of priesthood, okay? That really represents God's redemption. And then we have the two tablets of stone, the actual Ten Commandments that were written with the finger of God himself were put in that ark. Okay, represented to be God's holiness. These two cherubim on the lid 
Okay, kind of reminds me of those two. You guys remember in the Garden of Eden when the uh, Adam and Eve were kicked out? God put two angels there. <laughs> okay, um, that always what comes to my mind there. But it's a symbol of God's throne on earth and throne of authority and the seat of judgment. So we read a lot here. Let's turn to Hebrews 9 real quick and we'll wrap this up. I just skipped like five pages of notes for you guys. So <laughs> this was the concluding thought I want to hit with you guys here. But the closer you get to the sanctuary, do you guys see just how much more detail that there was given, just the level of preciousness coming into the presence of the Lord? That's something that you would miss if you don't actually read those chapters. There's a lot given to the Holy of Holies, okay? Now, I want to do the comparison real quickly with you guys from Hebrews 9 of the heavenly sanctuary now, okay? Symbolic of the earthly tabernacle. Look at verse 1. It says, then indeed, even the first covenant of the ordinances of divine service and earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was a lampstand, a table, and a showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer of the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were made the golden pot and the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And again, guys, we could spend a year speaking in detail to these things. So the tabernacle here, everything points to the holiness of God and the, sinful, or of God and the sinfulness of man. Everything that is spoken of speaks to this. So in that, no one can enter God's presence without the shedding of blood. That's the point that the author is making here. So everything about the building, the furniture, it's meant to be a teaching tool for us. That's why it's important that we have this study together. Everything points, it's a typology of Jesus. There's typological value and it all points to him. The tabernacle, okay? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us, the lampstand, Jesus is the light of the world, the showbread, I am the bread of life, the veil which was consecrated for us through the veil that is of his flesh, the mercy seat, the, that's the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God sent forth as a what? Propitiation, right? The mercy seat means covering. It was a place where God's holy love covered the sinner. The manna, I am the bread of life. Aaron's staff, Jesus, our high priest, the tablets of stone, the law being perfectly fulfilled. Do you guys see how this all just comes together and it's all about Jesus? Now look at verse 6. It talks about the inadequate tabernacle. It says, So when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part of the high priest, he went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin committed to ignorance. And the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him perform the service perfect in regard to the conscience concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances opposed unto the time of reformation. So this endless repetition of these sacrifices and all these rituals, guys, every day, 
year by year, which was nothing permanent. Nothing was actually accomplished for all time. And that's what Jesus did, guys. So we see a limited access here. We see limited efficiency, effectiveness in what the Holy Spirit is trying to say here, okay? This restricted access, verse 7, clearly demonstrates the true entrance into God's presence had not yet been disclosed, conveying to us the idea that the true way to God had not yet come. And then verse 9, it talks about their consciences, okay? Um, people know they're sinful, okay? We got, we got to tell people, hey, you're falling short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. But it is, often it's the guilt that people care because of their sin, okay? Sometimes if you don't carry a lot of guilt, you probably have a bad memory, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, okay? But it's one of those things when we talk to people, they carry that guilt and that shame. And that's one of those things Christ died for our sins, and there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He can heal our consciences, guys. And that's one thing I think the writer of Hebrews is really trying to get at here. Because let me tell you what, we've done some real wrongs, and it's hard moving on from those real wrongs. But God wants to set us free. He wants to heal us. So also minister to that. I love what John Stott said. Nobody is free who is unforgiven. Okay, uh, let's wrap it up. Look at verse 11, the real heavenly tabernacle here. It says, but Christ came as high priest of good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most high place once for all having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies in purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your consciences from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is our mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Guys, this is the good news. This is good news, okay? The need of these pictures and copies and shadows and imitations and substitutes, it's over. All this is over. It is done. We have the substance now. We have Christ himself. And he says, go on to this reality. And it's pointing to the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is pointing us, hey, there's this new covenant, okay? You're going to be born again of the Spirit of the living God. And the result, we finally can have real intimacy with God. It's not just one guy who's lucky enough to be the high priest who gets to go into the presence of the Lord once a year. We all get to go. Do you understand? Because of what Jesus has done. And I just want to step back for a moment. You might want to turn up the mic. I want to end with this thought. If we kind of had a bird's eye view of this tabernacle looking straight down, okay, what would we see here? Okay, the most, you know, holy place, the presence of the Lord, okay, the Ark of the Covenant. You walk through, you have the prayers of the incense. And then on the right and left, you have the lights and you have the bread, okay. And down below, you have the laver and the sacrifice. I'm looking straight down at these things. It kind of looks like a cross, doesn't it? 
you know that always kind of amazed me it's just like all right and each one of those things speak to jesus and i don't have time to but each one of these things speak about the sacrifice that he made on the cross it is beautiful but the thing i want to encourage you guys with is you might be born again you might be those who come into the courts you've been saved you've been forgiven sacrifice you get it it's been jesus it's been made i've been washed by the blood of the lamb but you haven't entered into that holy place and that's where the priests serve and we're called to serve aren't we okay there are things for us to do and some christians they never enter into that they're just okay hey, i've been forgiven at least i can come in <laughs> but there's a holy place that we can go in we can pray okay we can give the bread of man's not gonna live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of god i believe we all should be teachers okay we're not all called to be pastors teachers in the way of equipping but we're all called to be teachers okay there are people we can be sharing with and teaching discipling aren't we called a disciple right fill a great commission but the sweetness guys is the presence of the lord would you guys agree with me and I think so many people come short of that. Well, that's for those super spiritual Christians. They're the ones that get to be with God and in his presence in a sweet way. I would say sometimes we have to forgo the service of the Lord to be in the presence of the Lord. You guys remember Martha and Mary? Okay, I don't know where Lazarus was in the story. We know he was there. Maybe he was in the outer courts there just hanging out. You know, hey, he was brought back to life. We had Martha who was busy doing, serving. And what did Jesus say to her? Okay, Martha, you're worried about many things, right? And she was actually praying. What did she say? Lord, tell my sister to help. Is that prayer? It's prayer. So there, prayer of incense, you know. But Jesus said, hey, one thing's needed. And your sister Mary, she's chosen the good part, and that's just being at my feet. And I want to encourage you guys in concluding all of this, we saw what Jesus has done for us once and for all. We can boldly enter into the Holy of Holies. We can be in his presence. Make that happen, guys. We need to be with him. Amen? Amen. So, Father, thank you for your word this morning. Uh, this is needed. We are so easily caught up in other things. We can even get lost in the details that we miss you. Father, but we know it is all about you. God, help us to fix our eyes upon you. Help us to enter into that most holy place just to enjoy you, to be with you, Father, that we would find refreshing for our souls. There's no other place we can go. Thank you so much for all that you have revealed to us. It is so cool just how your word works together and all this stuff fits and how it all points to you. God, you had this all planned out Lord, from the get-go. And you're it. You're the key. So help us, Lord, to enjoy you and to share you well with others. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening in today to Freedom Fellowship. We hope you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. If so, would you please take a minute, like us, subscribe, and leave a review. This is a free way we can reach others with His Word. You can watch video teachings of sermons on our website, cometofreedom.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.